but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 provide Luke with the outline for the book of Acts. And we have seen uh, it working out uh, to a little bit over the halfway point in the book uh, through the previous weeks. By the way, I'm Woody Market. I'm uh, one of the assistant pastors. And uh, if you're new here, if you uh, are visiting with us, uh, there are three pastors and we uh, have been sharing uh, preaching responsibilities. Uh, Josh preached the last four weeks. I start my four-week segment this week, and then our senior pastor Scott will be, will be back uh, after that uh, in the pulpit. Uh, but we've covered up through uh, now almost to the end of Acts 15. In the second chapter of the Book of Acts, uh, there is a record of the Holy Spirit coming upon the church and empowering the church for ministry and for witness. Uh, Then in chapters 3 through 7, we see uh, and have seen as we've gone through the book of Acts thus far, uh, the church and the witness of the apostles in Jerusalem and of the other believers there as the church was being gathered and uh, built up. And then in chapters 8 through 11, because of the result of persecution in Jerusalem, Christians began spreading out into uh, all of Judea and up into Samaria, and uh, the gospel then went forth, uh, and we we read of that. Uh, Then in chapters 11 through 28, you see the gospel going to the end of the earth, or at least you see it going toward the end of the earth. We're still seeing today the gospel going out into all the earth, and we have yet to reach all the earth. So there is that sense. Those people who say that we're living in the 29th chapter of Acts, I don't think are altogether wrong. Uh, The world is still being reached for Jesus Christ. But here in the book of Acts, uh, we we see that beginning. And, And so you take the first, or take half of the book of Acts, uh, has to do, pretty much half, has to do with the three missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. Peter has been involved, others have been involved, to be sure. But uh, most of the book focuses on the uh, missionary efforts of the Apostle Paul. Uh, the first of those journeys uh, took Paul and his friend Barnabas uh, out into Asia where they planted churches and they came back to Syrian Antioch. While they were planting churches, they reached the Gentiles and uh, Gentiles came to faith. And, and then here came some Jewish believers from Jerusalem uh, who were teaching that the Gentiles really couldn't become Christians until they had first become Jews by being circumcised and by uh, observing the food laws, the the Jewish food laws. 
And that, as you can imagine, caused something of a stir. Well, all of that takes place in chapters 13 and 14. And uh, then in chapter 15, uh, there is the resultant council at Jerusalem where uh, Paul and Barnabas and Peter, who have preached the gospel to Gentiles and seen them respond, uh, go to the the church leaders at Jerusalem. They have a church-wide council. And uh, they decide, what are we going to do about Gentile believers? And they decided that they did not have to become Jews, did not have to be circumcised, did not have to follow those food laws, but they laid on them a couple of things that they really ought to do in consideration of Jewish believers uh, since they're coming in to be one body together. And Josh led us through all of that, the, the uh, Jerusalem Council and its aftermath. And uh, that brings us up uh, to this morning, um, where we begin, the, uh, we, we come to the end, if you will, of, of uh, the 15th chapter of Acts, and to the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey, which will bring him back through Asia and onto the, the continent of Europe before we're all done. But first, before he can do that, he's got to get out of Syrian Antioch. And that part isn't pretty. Read with me, if you will, in your Bibles, if you have them on your cell phone or your iPad or uh, out of the bulletin where the text is printed. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to start off where Josh finished last week. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 35. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And then our text. And after some days, and and notice that things start off rather well. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So far, so good. But then things began uh, to take an ugly turn. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take them with them, one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And it got worse. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So far, the reading of God's word. Our God, open to us this word that we've read. Even more important, open us to this word that we've just read. Holy Spirit of God, teach us and enable us to live as we ought as followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, so here was Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, who exhorted the churches he founded as well as others to stand firm in one spirit, to be of the same mind, to be of the same love, 
to count others as more significant than themselves, to do all things without disputing, to look not only to their own interests, but to those of others as well, to, in effect, have the mind of Jesus. That Paul, locked in a knockdown, drag out fight with Barnabas, the son of encouragement. How ironic. It was, our translations say, a sharp disagreement. That's an understatement. The Greek suggests an intense argument, uh, an intense, irreconcilable difference of opinion. It's the word we use in English, paroxysm. If you look up paroxysm, you see that it means a sudden violent emotion or activity, an outburst, as in a paroxysm of rage. They were going at it tooth and nail. It was no small, inconsequential disagreement. And worse, this is Paul and this is Barnabas. They are in lockstep with regard to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You remember when in in the first part of, of... of Acts 1. I've already alluded to it. These, these Jews come down, Jewish Christians come down from Jerusalem. I say, wait a minute. Those Gentiles can't become Jew- Christians unless they first become Jews, etc., etc. That's verse 1 of chapter 15. Verse 2 reads, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas were one against this misrepresentation of the gospel. They're in lockstep. There is not a question in their mind about what the gospel is and what it isn't. They're on the same theological page. They believe the same things. They've been preaching and teaching. They've gone out on a missionary journey and were much used by God in the conversion of men and women and children and the building of the church. This disagreement wasn't over theology. It wasn't over the gospel. It wasn't over the essence of the Christian faith. It it wasn't a doctrinal argument over core Christian truths. It was a practical one over how to best bring the gospel to others. It ended with Barnabas taking John Mark to Cyprus and Paul taking Silas who accompanied them from the Jerusalem council with him to Syria and Cilicia. It was not an amicable division. Stop here and insert a brief tangent. One of the reasons, 
among more. That I take the Bible as truth is this passage, and there are a number more like it. It's ugly. <laughs> there's, there's no other way of saying it. And were I to write a book purporting to be from God himself, there is no way on this green earth and I'm ever putting this account in my book because it's ugly. It doesn't sound like what people who are united to that God and, and people that are, are worshiping that God would do any more than that story of the sordid affair of David and Bathsheba or the account of, of Peter denying Christ not once, not twice, but three times. I just wouldn't put those things in my book. But God's bigger than that. And this is a fact. It's ugly. But these are facts. And so they're there in the book. They help us to understand the whole story. End of tangent. So what can we say about this argument and its result? I'm going to say four things as quickly as I can. The first is that, you know, it, it, it just seems to have been inevitable. I don't excuse it for a minute, but it just seems to be inevitable. These men were who they were. God made them that way. Barnabas was the son of encouragement. That was his nickname. His real name was Joe. Yeah, it was Joseph. And, and the, the apostles called him son of encouragement just because of the way he was. He was people-oriented. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, if ever there was a task-oriented person, it's Paul. Barnabas was concerned with Mark's development and well-being. Paul remembered that Mark had been with him on that first journey and had hindered the gospel by deserting them. To Barnabas, Mark was important. To Paul, the gospel was important. And there's the nut of it. Then you add that these were two good men who happened to be sinful. They were sinners like you and me. I don't know if I'd have sinners in my book either, except all on the way to hell, you know, but I just don't know that I'd include them in there especially not on my side. That's not to say that all differences of opinion are sinful. They're not. But it is to say that where there are sinful people, there are disagreements. It's just going to be. The question is never, 
whether or not we're going to have disagreements. The question is, all right, how are we going to handle them as Christians? There's the question. Second thing to say is, they were both right. You got to say that. Listen, Jesus called Paul to be the, the apostle to the Gentiles, to build the Gentile church. Jesus himself did that. Stopped him cold on the Damascus Road and told him what was ahead for him. Paul couldn't forget that. Paul saw the importance of that work because Jesus had knocked him to his knees and blinded him and then raised him up and sent him out to do that job. And he naturally saw Mark as a liability. <laughs> Look, we tried it with him. It didn't work. This is too important. We tried him, he blew it, it's over. Paul was right. He was correct. Barnabas, on the other hand, saw Mark's potential. He's a son of encouragement. I can hear him. Paul, give Mark a second chance. I do. I think I can hear Barnabas saying, Paul, Jesus gave you a second chance. What was going on on the Damascus Road? But that God from heaven was giving you a second chance. Paul, what is the gospel we preach? The gospel of a second chance. You blew it. Every one of us has blown it. Paul, you blew it. I blew it. And everybody that will follow us has blown it. And God has come in the Lord Jesus Christ and given a second chance. Why can't you give Mark a second chance? Barnabas was correct. They were both right. So the third thing you've got to add quickly is, but they were both wrong. They were both wrong. The language shows it, not in the English so much. In verse 37, you read that Barnabas wanted to bring. The Greek says, Barnabas kept wanting. Like a bulldog, he would not let it loose. He couldn't turn it loose. He kept on and he kept on and he kept on. And he was not going to take no for an answer. Then you read verse 38. Literally, but Paul kept on insisting. And it's the exact same intensity in both of those verbs. Neither one would give in. Neither one would give an inch. There was no give on either side. And the great, 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 great tragedy was that they parted ways. Never, so far as we know, to see one another again this side of glory. 
Barnabas was gone up, remember, and brought Paul to Antioch to minister. Barnabas who had led Paul. It used to be Barnabas and Paul, and then somewhere along the line it changes to Paul and Barnabas. Who Barnabas who had taken Paul, Saul, taken him. two friends, these two fellow believers that you couldn't put a penny's difference in their theology, in their faith. These two men who had fellow, been fellow missionaries go their separate ways. It's tragic. And, and you have to ask the question, couldn't they have compromised well, not if the issue had been central to the faith. There's nothing central to the faith here. It was practical on Paul's side. We got a job to do. It was more personal. I, I, I take it on Barnabas' side on two counts. One, Mark was Barnabas's cousin. But the other more important part, I think, is he, he wasn't disinterested in the job they had to do at home. He simply saw Mark as part of that job. And so you and I, we look at it from here and we say, why in the world couldn't they come up with something, some way, other than parting company? Why? And the answer in part is, that their differences had degenerated into mutual anger. They, they weren't simply differences of opinion anymore. And what started out as simply a difference of opinion and a difference of focus and emphasis exploded in this paroxysm of anger and bitterness toward one another. They couldn't hear each other. Even though they were standing that far from each other, I imagine screaming at the top of their lungs. They couldn't hear. And so the easiest thing to do was to go different ways. So Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Parenthetical remark. It appears that the church sided with Paul. There's not a word about the church commending Barnabas to anything. But there are a couple comments to make there. Perhaps Barnabas left before the church could commend them, pray for them. The other is that churches have been wrong. We don't know. And Paul went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. Then the fourth thing we have to say is this. Fortunately, fortunately, God was still sovereign. And he brought good from it. Which in no way excuses it, 
which provides no rationale for it or anything else. It's just a statement of fact. Now the church had two missionary teams rather than one. And they were covering more ground because one went to Cyprus, although we don't know whatever took place there, what the results of that was. And then the other went up out into Asia and ultimately to Europe. I used to work for Mission to North Under, Mission to North America. Uh, that's our, our denomination's church planning uh, committee ministry. And uh, uh, I was at a meeting in Atlanta a long, long time ago, 30, 35, 60 years ago. And, uh, and we had a speaker. He was the vice president of church extension. And I hate to identify the church, but it was the Southern Baptist Convention. I do that because of the biggest possible there is. And he's a really nice guy. He did a thing out of the way. And he opened the discussion and questions. And we're sitting there, and somewhere in the middle of all, and one guy raised his hand and says, uh, What would you say? is the primary and most effective method in your church of church cities. The guy was quiet for a bit. And this was the days of cassette tapes, you know, and uh, you had a cigar box looking thing, black plastic, and uh, there were probably 10 of them. If you all turn off those machines, and he said to me, you look at the nice church streets. This is the vice president of church extension. And he said, That's, we pray more churches that way than we do for us. He said, and God is good, God is sovereign, God is good for things, but the message is in Every time I drive down the country, particularly in Europe, I just see such and such, and I just put a few in the middle of the church. And then you go, you know, you're not a mile down the road, and over here, there's a peace within the church, or a grace within the church, or a unity within the church. it for good, I guess. But it's sad. Anyway, enough of that. There was, the last thing to say, under God's goodness and sovereignty, there was reconciliation. Later you read in Paul's letter to the, first letter to the Corinthians, for one thing, one place, uh, a commendation of his friend Barnabas written all after this had all taken place. And several times you read in his letters of Mark, who became part of the ministry team of Paul. In fact, Paul writes Timothy and says, bring Mark with you. I need him. That's the upside. Well, how do you wrap all this up 
bring it to a conclusion. What does this have to do with you and me and South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church or whatever church you may be a part of? First, Jesus is building his church even when you and I seem intent, just bent on undoing all his efforts. And I think in the first place, you and I can take comfort from that, from knowing that we can't finally or forever derail the gospel. God is still sovereign. Jesus is still building his church. Despite us. But we have to also remember that we can very, very well forfeit the blessing of being a part of what Jesus is doing in the building of that church. We can, by our divisiveness, divisiveness, whatever, uh, by our hard-headedness, hard-heartedness, our refusal to compromise on things that are eminently compromisable on. And we can forfeit all part in it. And we can damage the work a particular body has to do in the world. Secondly, we mustn't ever confuse our ways with his ways. Unless we have a plain, incontrovertible word from God in his book, the Bible, we need to hold those things lightly. Our ways, our preferences, our methods are just that. They're our ways, our preferences, our methods. They may or may not line up with his ways, preferences, and methods. Your way may differ from theirs, whoever they are, in whatever it is that you're talking about. It might be teaching or evangelizing or, or counseling or, or, or youth ministry or, or men's ministry, ministry or women's ministry or, or Bible studies or, or, or music ministry mercy ministry, whatever ministry it is. But because yours and theirs differ, don't mean that either is wrong. Of course, it also doesn't mean that either is right. It certainly doesn't mean that either is automatically wrong. Because they don't do things your way doesn't mean they're out of accord with the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. I always have to remember that, and that's so hard. Because giving us at least a little bit of credit, this is what we're most sincerely dedicated to. This is the most important thing. A Christian's Christianity is the most important thing in his or her life. Our problem is we take the little pieces and magnify. 
And we have these dissensions and arguments and fights and everything else. There are a few things in Christian ministry that will never be negotiable. Oh my goodness. There is so much that is. So much that Jesus blesses and uses, even though they're not the way you and I would do it. The audacity of Jesus <laughs> to bless stuff that's different from the way I would do it. Well, in short, there are things that just flat shouldn't be causes of differences and divisions between Christian men and women. Long and the short of it. Third, this whole sad affair, like everything else, brings us to Jesus. Jesus came to bring us peace. He did it through the cross, through suffering and dying. He did it through resurrection and ascension and his intercession even at this very minute before the throne of God for us. He came to bring us peace with God. And with that peace, he brought you and me the possibility of and the individual responsibility for living at peace with each other. The gospel of Jesus is that he came hung on a cross bled and died an agonizing death. I don't know how to put that in my book either. It's ugly. It's ugly. So that he can reconcile you and me to the living God, restore us to fellowship with our Heavenly Father. then is our difficulty in being reconciled to one another. You know, it's an important thing we're doing here this morning. We're gathering together to worship God. It's more important than that. Jesus said there is something more important. You're on your way to church. He said, you're on your way to offer your sacrifice. You're on your way to church. Worship God. It's the highest, most important thing in life. 
you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, stop! Put your sacrifice down. Lay down your Bible, your bulletin. Go be reconciled with your brother 